Amen. This working? Alrighty. Got the new mic because I always kept messing messing up every time I was looking down to pray or read. I was popping in the mic, and then when I was looking up at the screens, the audio wasn't picking me up. So I figured we'll get something that's glued to my head. It's literally glued. I have to pull. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I always like listening to Stephanie Dawn sing, and it's it's not enough always to just listen to her because when you see her, when you watch the videos of her singing. You see that passion that she has on her face, and you don't you don't see that all the time. But she really puts all that effort into it. It's really amazing. Um, this particular sermon that I wrote, or I didn't write it, I just prayed on it, asked for the Holy Spirit for guidance, and I got most of the information from a, a Mark Finley, uh, some Mark Finley studies. But I wasn't sure if I should even be giving this sermon. I was. Uh, the, first, the last sermon I gave was about uh, revival of the Holy Spirit and prayer for it and what we need to be doing for it. And realistically, that sermon is kind of the beginning of a series, right? Because you can talk about uh, that piece, but then there's more pieces to the whole equation. And I wasn't sure about if I should give this sermon or not. And I was like, maybe I should move on to a different topic or things like that. Um, but then we kept having the topic come up. Last Sabbath, we were talking about the Holy Spirit. Glenda was, had some extra information on that. Um, and then, to top it all off, um, the pastor that, uh, that came last yesterday even, and I still wasn't sure, even yesterday, I, w- I had started on it, but I wasn't 100% sure I had gotten through half of it, and I was like, maybe I should flip it over. Well, that was what we talked about for two hours, was the Holy Spirit. Um, and so it was an interesting conversation, and this the fact that it just keeps coming up in, uh, in everything that I see and do means that it's an important topic. It's something that we need to talk about. Um, so, you know, on this, the last one I talked about was the Holy Spirit praying for it, praying for revival. And in this one, we're going to talk about what the Holy Spirit is uh, and, and how to define it and how do we know when the Holy Spirit is in our lives. So, What I'd like to do before we get started, of course, is to pray. If you'll bow your heads with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I look to you for direction. Sometimes maybe not enough, but I feel that you've directed me to preach this sermon. God, I ask that you use me as your mouthpiece, that this is your sermon, that we let your word speak for itself that you pour the Holy Spirit out upon this congregation so they can gain a fuller understanding of not only just your character, but who you are. Because we are in awe as we bring ourselves closer to seeing you, to having that relationship with you. And we all look forward to that day when we get to spend all of eternity just getting to know you. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So, yeah, as I said, I wanted to talk about what the Holy Spirit was. You know, is we see in, in cases where some people believe that the Holy Spirit is uh, some sort of eminent force, an impersonable uh, spirit, like just something that wafts out from God, right? Now, uh, then we have other people that believe that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead, that we have 
the Holy Spirit is a has a personhood to it. So that's where we have to decide. Is it a power flowing from God? Is it impersonable? Is it, is it just a, a thing and it? Or is it a divine person? Is it part of the Godhead? If the Holy Spirit is a third person, equal with Jesus Christ and the Father, and we think of Him as an impersonal influence, then we rob a divine person of the honor, respect, and love that he deserves. However, if the Holy Spirit is just mere influence or power, then what happens is, is we try to grasp it. We try to get a hold of it. You know, it's almost like Star Wars, use the force. You know, we have to get a hold of this, that we can use it in some way for our own glory. And that's something that might be very dangerous. Genuine revival within us, as we talked about in my last sermon, is work of the Holy Spirit, right? We, that, that is brought to us by the Holy Spirit. He is the only one that can do that. Ellen White says it, A revival of true godliness among us is the greatest and most urgent of all our needs. We must have the holy unction from God, the baptism of His Spirit, for this is the only efficient agent in the promulgation of sacred truth. It is the Spirit of God that quickens the lifeless faculties of the soul to appreciate heavenly things and attracts the affections toward God and the truth. Attracts the affections toward God and truth. You know, if we don't have that baptism of the Holy Spirit, we don't have those affections and and that attraction to God. You know, because even before... I was baptized. I grew up in a church where I believed in God, uh, and, through, and then I kind of left and I went away. Um, and but, you know, one of the things Pastor Gordon reminded me when I was getting baptized is don't 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 expect something to be just you know huge and over the top after baptism. Um, you know, which is just it. You know, a baptism is a form of commitment that I was making. But I actually did feel different. Like I felt this love and this attraction to God growing and that my study was even becoming more a part of my life. Like it was something that I couldn't do without, you know. So I thought that was, that was an amazing reference. It is vital for us to understand who the Holy Spirit is, how He works if we are to experience revival. We have to know how He's going to work in us, how we, He's going to do what He's doing. Now, it is, I believe, a false concept to believe of the Holy Spirit as merely a power of force because I think that leads to self-exaltation, right? It's almost like this power or force that we're going to show off. That we, and we don't want to be in that kind of, of frame of mind. Look what power I have. The contrast, of course, if we see the Holy Spirit as a person, as a divine personality, then our option is to surrender to His will. That we surrender ourselves and we say, God, what do you want of us? Rather than, look at me. Unfortunately, there's a lot of Christians, mainstream Christians, that are confused. Dr. Bill Bright, who's the founder and the former president of Campus Crusade for Christ, points out his organization did a survey of thousands of Christians and churches around the world and sadly, nearly 95% of the respondents have indicated that they have little knowledge of who the Holy Spirit is or why He even exists. 
That's, that's disheartening. A.W. Tozer writes, the idea of the Spirit held by the average church member is so vague as to be nearly non-existent. They don't even know what we're talking about. Jesus' teachings on the Holy Spirit, I believe, were crystal clear. Yet for the average Christian, according to Tozer, it is vague and nearly non-existent. In his book, The Secret, How to Live with Purpose and Power, Dr. Bright shares his deepest convictions about Christian living with these words. He says, I am personally convinced that if today's Christians better understood the Bible's basic teaching about the Holy Spirit and then invited Him to release His power in their lives each day, they would experience unprecedented joy and personal fulfillment. More than that, our verbal and nonverbal witness for Jesus Christ would sweep the world. Wouldn't that be amazing? Verbal and nonverbal witness. And that's something we need to always remind ourselves that even when we're not talking and we're just in public, we have a nonverbal witness. Would you like to experience more intimacy with God? Would you like to unlock Christ's supernatural power and live a victorious Christian life? Become more of a powerful witness for Jesus Christ? The Holy Spirit is critical and is the key to that success. Now, I want to talk about, let's play a little game real quick. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to say certain words, and you're going to just think about something in your head. Just think on what the first thing that comes to your mind, right? Okay, so if I say orange, you have a picture of, a, of an orange in your head. Banana, you have a picture of banana. Piano, you know what a piano is. Father, you have a picture of either your own father or maybe a picture of God the Father, and we often picture like some, you know, an old man or something because we, we envision him just being so old. The Son, you know, I picture either Mason right off the bat or you miss Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit. I don't know about you guys, but I'm drawing a blank on that one. It's, it's tough to visualize the Holy Spirit, right? Because we don't have any description of who He is. The best we have is... The, the references to being a dove uh, or to landing on Jesus like a dove in, in Scripture, right? But we don't have that visual aspect. We don't have no frame of mind when we hear from Him, when we hear about it. The Holy Spirit is this mysterious, invisible, secret uh, person. His presence is so universal, He can be felt by all of us all at the same time that we question who He is or what He is. And here is a critical mistake that a lot of Christians, I believe, make is that we equate divine personality with some sort of visibility, right? I don't believe divine personality requires visibility. If, if it's universal and present, then it must be a force or presence, not a divine being. That's the whole concept that we tend to take in mainstream Christianity, that, that if it's universal, if it's everywhere, it must be this force. But it doesn't have to be. There are two major problems with this thinking, but first I want to give a good analogy. Um, so 
So, so a lot of times we think of, uh, you know, a, per, a divine being requiring that, that, person, that personhood or that visibility, right? So if a guy goes over to, let's say, Iraq or Afghanistan or wherever they're fighting their battles right now, and he ends up in a Humvee accident, he runs over, they run over a bomb, he ends up uh, taking damage, he comes back missing two legs. Do we say, oh, Bob's not a person anymore, he's half a person? No, of course not, because his person is made up of who he is, not the physical extremities and the pieces of him, right? So we don't, we don't necessarily see it that way. When we actually break it down, we don't see him as being half a person. He's still Bob, even though only half a Bob is still there. So it's important that we don't do the same thing to the divine personality of the Holy Spirit. So the two major problems with this kind of thinking, of thinking of him as a force or divine, being, uh, divine presence... Problem one is, is that it becomes a human attempt to explain divine reality. It attempts to shape divine truth to our limited thinking, right? It, puts, it breaks down the sublime truth of God into bite-sized bite chunks so that we can ingest it somehow. But in reality, we forget that sometimes God is just God and that our feeble minds cannot comprehend Him, right? If I was to go to Florida and stand on the beach, and let's say this stage is the edge of the beach, and I was to look out upon the ocean, and I would see as far as I could that way, as far as I could that way, and as far as I could that way, that's what we don't know about God. That's what we will never be able to know until we get to heaven, and we can start learning it. But back here, the beach is what we do know about God. We do know the character of God. That is very, very clear in, in the Bible. And we do know certain key principles about the divine uh, trinity of God. So we're going to look into that. Um, we, will, we will never completely understand all of his complex ways. Now, one eminent theologian said, to try and understand the trinity is to lose one's mind. <laughs> to deny the trinity is to lose one's soul. So, do we have to completely and totally 100% understand everything to enjoy it, to utilize it, to have it work in our lives? Like, I don't completely understand electricity, so you better turn those lights off because I don't want something that I don't completely understand. But no, we use electricity. I may not need to 100% understand it, but I can still use it. It can still be a part of my life. It can still work in, in my life. Similarly, we may not grasp the full extent and principle of the Holy Spirit, but we can still receive the biblical teachings from it. There are a lot of things that we don't understand about God. For example, Jesus Christ. How did Jesus Christ become a man? How, how does a God become born through a virgin to become the Messiah on earth, to bring us all salvation. How does that happen? I don't, I don't know. The Bible doesn't really talk about those details like, oh, we got to break down some quantum physics in second hesitations, right? It doesn't, it doesn't do any of that. That's not important to our salvation, so it doesn't go over it. So it's, it's important that we, that we not overanalyze things. The second problem, if he's just a force of the Godhead, the idea is contrary to Holy Scriptures. Now we have three plain New Testament passages that make it clear, I believe. 
none make him less of anything other than one of the Godhead. The last command Jesus said was, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So all three. New Testament believers became Christian and they became a part of the divine fellowship, uh, divine fellowship of oneness in the Godhead. The Apostle Paul describes the unity of the purpose of the Godhead when he says in Ephesians 2.18, Through Him, Christ, we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. The Apostle describes the unity of the Godhead in, in Hebrews 10.9-5 with the Father wills, the Son works, and the Spirit witnesses. Now, it's a long passage, so I won't go into that for the sake of time. But these are the three things that are defined there. Hebrews 10, 9 through 15, we can see those, those elements brought out. Father wills, Son works, Spirit witnesses. So each has their purpose. They never elevate one over the other. No, they're all equal all the time, and they each have their goal. Just how the church is supposed to operate. Like Lisa was saying in the Sabbath school, that we all have our purpose. We can't take and elevate one person over the other. We all have things that we can do that the other person can't do. Throughout Scripture, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit cooperate to accomplish heaven's purpose of the plan of redemption. He's, they're, they're, all three of them are present at creation. They're cr- present at Jesus Christ's baptism. They're present through Jesus Christ's life. They're present at the cross, the resurrection, and even during Jesus Christ's ministry in the heavenly sanctuary. Paul concludes the second letter in Corinthians with these insightful words. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. So again, we've defined these three different things, three different uh, personhoods, and three different things that each of them do. They each have their own purpose. In the Old Testament, God revealed love through the warnings and instructions of the prophets, right? And in the New Testament, God revealed love through the life and death of Jesus Christ, and we call that grace. Since the resurrection and inauguration of uh, Jesus Christ in the heavenly sanctuary, God reveals His love through the personal presence or communion of the Holy Spirit in our lives. God reveals through personal presence. Oh, that's what that says. (laughs) My notes. (laughs) It is through the Holy Spirit that we are brought into the fellowship uh, with the Father and Son. It is through the Holy Spirit that we enter an intimate divine communion with the divine personhood. Before Christ became flesh, the Father was the most prevalent. He was the one that was on the horizon, right? All through the Old Testament. Once Jesus came and He was born, He filled the horizon. It was all about Jesus Christ. That if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. The New Testament world says God's love is in Jesus. And that is why Jesus said, He who has seen Me has seen the Father in John fourteen nine. But once Jesus ascended to heaven we entered a new dispensation. And that was the dispensation of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, to address the personhood of, of the Holy Spirit, I, 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 read, I heard an analogy that I thought was really effective. So let's say, let's say I am at, we're at fellowship lunch, okay? And me and Ashley, we're sitting there and we're at the table and Lisa, you walk up to us and you hear Ashley say, would you like another sandwich? Now, what do we know from that information so far? Hmm? I already had one sandwich, right? I can't have another sandwich unless, or I'm hungry. Well, I haven't said yes yet. She's only asked. So all we know, but I would say yes. <laughs> but all we know is that I've had one sandwich, so I need another sandwich, right? Or let's take uh, the fact of a contractor. Let's say I was working on your house. You guys, one of you bought, uh, paid me to work on your house and build your house for you. And I say it's going to take seven months to build this house. And I'm going to build a nice house for you. And you pay me and we get all this stuff lined out. And I come to you after three and a half months and say, hey, I've got good news and I've got bad news. And you're like, okay, what, uh, what's, the, what's the good news? Well, the house is coming along great. It looks good. We're right on track. It's like, okay, what's the bad news? Well, the bad news is, is I got to go. I got to leave, but don't worry. I've got a new contractor coming. You don't have to worry about that. You're, I mean, of course, you're probably like, wait a minute, I paid you. Why is a new contractor coming? But anyway, there's a new contractor coming. Monday morning, you hear a knock at the door, and you think, oh, that's my new contractor, and you open the door, and there's a generator sitting there. Can an energy source fulfill the place of a contractor because that's how some people see the holy spirit is an energy source or a force right but jesus says i will send you another comforter right so this you know you the 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 generator sitting there well how do you do uh as you can see we're almost finished but uh you need to finish this up it doesn't work right so let me find my notes again so Leroy E. Froome in his book puts it this way. Jesus was the most marked and influential personality ever in this old world. And the Holy Spirit was to supply his vacated place. No one but a person could take the place of that wondrous person. No mere influence would ever suffice. Ellen White clarifies it by saying there are three living persons of the heavenly trio. In the name of these three great powers, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, those who receive Christ by living faith are baptized. And these powers will cooperate with the obedient subjects of heaven in their efforts to live a new life in Christ. Amen. Like a trio making heavenly music, they each sing a different piece, right? We have a soprano, we have a tenor, we have an alto, but they're all singing the same song of salvation. The Holy Spirit is indeed the third person of the Godhead. Let's look at this powerful statement. Evil had been accumulating for centuries and could only be restrained and resisted by the mighty power of the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Godhead who would come with no modified energy but in the fullness of divine power. 
You know, it would be unfair of Jesus to say, don't worry, I'm leaving, I'll send another. And it's just a force. It wouldn't have the same connection, the same power, the same divine energy if it wasn't another person. John, whoops, John 14, 16, John four, chapters 14 through 16, Jesus describes the ministry of the Holy Spirit in detail. In fact, you could probably say that this is some of the most powerful and significant words that Jesus Christ talks about. In this teaching of the Holy Spirit, life becomes transforming. The importance of this tremendous truth regarding Holy Spirit cannot be over emphasized and we can use Jesus' own words here John 14 16 17 I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper and he that he may abide with you forever even the spirit of the truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you so We can see here Jesus is talking about praying to the Father and He will give you another helper. So He's talking about two other people in this discussion. So either He has a split personality or there's three parts of the Godhead. Through through the ages past, the Holy Spirit has been with faithful believers. But from Pentecost forward, God's purpose was that He will be with you. So all through the Old Testament, we can see the Holy Spirit. That was one thing I asked right away after, after baptism and stuff like that. Was the Holy Spirit even in the Old Testament? And of course, you know, someone more knowledgeable than me is like, pew, 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 pew. I'm like, okay, okay. He's in the Old Testament. <laughs> but the, and the divine reality, it's, it's, it is a divine reality. It's not just a nice religious words or sentiment. It's not something we crochet on a pillow. It actually has you know, meaning to us. The world believes what it sees, unfortunately. And it rules out everything else. And by not having this visual aspect of the Holy Spirit, they, they count the Holy Spirit short, I think. For a secular person to think the Holy Spirit is dwelling in a believer, it becomes ridiculous. Like, what are you talking about? There's somebody in you? You're weird. <laughs> but that's precisely Christ's point. What the world doesn't get, Christians grasp by faith. The first and second persons take up residence in our hearts through the third. Right? The third is what dwells in us that gives access to the first and second persons of the Godhead. Now, I used a little piece, and this was from um, Lisa's sermon last night or uh, last week. That we are no longer orphans. We are not an abandoned child. We have not been left on the street by Christ who ascended to a mansion and from the time we, uh, who ascended to a mansion and we, and we have this just a force that, to bring us comfort. We have another personhood. And from time to time, we even read about abandoned babies that are left at hospitals or, or uh, churches or things of that nature. But that is not our, our place. That is not, we are not abandoned. Revealing His presence through the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ says, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Loneliness ceases with the Holy Spirit. Emptiness goes away. We come into this understanding of this long companionship that we can develop. 
we experience love at a different level, right? We can actually experience love. We, I, I've had this argument with, with people before uh, that we're struggling in relationships with marriage and things like that. But if you can't experience the love of God through the Holy Spirit, then you can't love another person because you don't know what it is. You don't know, so you can't, you can't share that. So when you're struggling in your marriage, what you need is a, a better relationship with God, right? Because that's going to help your, your relationship because now you know what love is, how to love, what to do, all those things. Through the Holy Spirit, we have Jesus abiding in our souls. Ellen White comments on John 14, 16 through 18, when she says, Pentecost brought them the presence of the Comforter, of whom Christ had said, He shall be in you. And He had further said, It is expedient for you that I go away. It, it's better for you if I leave right now. Now, why? Why is that? No, it's not better, but okay, go ahead. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Henceforth, through the Spirit, Christ was to abide continually in the hearts of his children. Their union with him was closer than when he was personally with them. Isn't that amazing, right? Jesus Christ could only do so much, right? If I walk up against Glenda, I cannot be in Glenda, I cannot be in my wife. I cannot be in these different people. But through the Holy Spirit, that they're, they're actually, he's actually, Jesus Christ is closer to his believers because he can be in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. We can have a closer union today through, with Christ than the followers had before the Pentecost. It's just amazing. Ellen White puts it this way. The work of the Holy Spirit is immeasurably great. It is from this source that power and efficiency come to the worker of God. And the Holy Spirit is the comforter as the personal presence of Christ to the soul. So what is this at work? What does it do? We read in John fourteen sixteen, Jesus declared, I will pray the Father and He will give you another helper that He may abide with you forever. And the Master adds later in chapter 16, verse 7, He says, If I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send Him to you. Twenty-four times from John 14 to John 16, three chapters, twenty-four times, Jesus uses pronouns of He, Him, Whom. never calls the Holy Spirit it, right? It is a person, the New Testament was written in Greek. And the helper that it refers to here, the helper, the helper of the word was parakletos. That word literally means parakletos, called to the side for the purpose of helping. Now some translations use advocate, comforter, a helper, these are all synonyms of the same thing. An advocate is someone that goes beside you to the judge. A comforter is someone that's beside you comforting. A helper is someone that's beside you helping. And that's the thing, is that's what the Holy Spirit is, that all of those things, all at once. Not any one word suffices. We have to have used parakletos. What's really interesting here is when you turn to 1 John 2.1. It says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Who's that? 
Jesus Christ. Now, advocate right here is the word parakletos, right? So Jesus Christ, the righteous. But the word advocate here is parakletos in the Bible. So again, we have my analogy. If you remember, if you want another helper, you want another advocate, you want another parakletos, this is the first parakletos. So does a force fill that same position? Does a force fill that same void? Absolutely not. A, 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 a generator cannot fill the role of a contractor. The Holy Spirit dwelling in our hearts is like a close friend. It provides trust, enlightenment, strengthens us, helps us face evil. What, what weakness do, what weaknesses do we have that become a part of our genetic makeup that, that we can't seem to help doing, right? What temptations do we yield to? What sins do you have in your life that trip you up? We all, we all have something that seems to just stick around like a thorn in your foot. God is aware of the spiritual battle that's waging in each one of our souls. He has sent the Holy Spirit, the helper, to help overcome darkness. He is there to sever the change of bondage to set us free. He sent the Holy Spirit to face the enemy with strength, to provide us with that strength. Revival, for revival to take place, we have to open our hearts. We have to enlighten ourselves to the powerful ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. None are so vile, none have fallen so low as to be beyond the working of this Holy Spirit's power. In all who will submit themselves to the Holy Spirit, a new principle of life is to be implanted. The lost image of God is to be restored in humanity. And this is why that the unpardonable sin, there's only one unpardonable sin, and that is to deny the Holy Spirit because eventually we get calloused to the point that the Holy Spirit can't work in, in us. But other than that, none are so vile. None have fallen so low. We're always able to be built back up as long as we're not callous to the Holy Spirit. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, He has the power to change our lives. In John 4.17, Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of truth. In John 16.13, Jesus declares... When He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you things to come. He instructs us in the ways of eternity. Without the Holy Spirit, we become unprepared. We have no truth. The only way to understand God is to have the Holy Spirit. Some studies, uh, some study to prove others wrong. The only reason they study the Bible is to say, aha, you're wrong, here's where, you're, where it's right. Others study to seek divine truth through his, human wisdom. It doesn't, it doesn't work to use our own human wisdom. We are flawed. To use our own experiences, our own logic, it doesn't work to study the Bible that way. All bring f- faculties to the mind to understand the, bo- the Bible, but are still confused. They still don't get it. Steps to Christ describes our need to have the Holy Spirit to help us understand. We can attain 
to an understanding of God's Word only through the illumination of the Spirit by which the Word was given. If we, if we want to understand the Bible, we have the ability to listen to the person who wrote the Bible, who inspired the Bible to be written. That, that's who gave the Word, right? If I write something on a piece of paper and I give it to you and you don't know what it says or what it means, who are you going to talk to? Yeah, come back to me. And we can do that with the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit inspired the prophets to write and inspires us to help us understand. Our divine teachers reveal our divine teacher reveals the deep and hidden things of the Bible and of our heart. In the recesses of our heart lurk hidden sins and attitudes and thought processes contrary to the principles of Christ and contrary to the way we should be. So the Holy Spirit brings these secrets to the light of day so that we can deal with them. The Holy Spirit constantly is teaching, constantly working on us if we allow Him to. The same Holy Spirit that revealed the truth to the writers can reveal the truth as we read it. A psalmist prays in 119.107, I am afflicted very much. Revive me, O Lord, according to Your Word. He continues the petition a few verses down. Plead my cause and redeem me. Revive me according to your word. The word of God is foundational to all revival. The Holy Spirit leads us to apply that word in our lives. The true vicar of Christ on earth does not sit on the papal throne in Rome. The true vicar of Christ on earth is the Holy Spirit. He's the vicar of Christ. Sent from the throne of the universe, not from an earthly throne. Yet one more aspect of the Holy Spirit's ministry we must not overlook is the Holy Spirit is our personal guide in the decision-making processes of our life. As, our, as a personal guide, the Holy Spirit will convict us of unconfessed sin. He will seek us to prevent us from falling in traps before we even know that we're going to be in there. He will bring Scripture command to mind if we memorize those Scriptures and we put them sealed away in our, height, in our mind. He'll give us conviction of what we want to do. I hear all the time people saying, oh, well, I was convicted to do this. And that comes from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit steers us towards God's will. John sixteen thirteen describes the Holy Spirit as one who guides us. In Isaiah fifty eight eleven, God promises... He will guide you continually. He's always there. We just have to have the patience to listen. And that's where I fail a lot, is that sometimes I get in the hustle and bustle of doing, of doing something. And, and this day and age, especially with technology and everything else, we can become so distracted. We don't have two, two uh, seconds to rub together and just think about things and just slow it down. Psalm, the Psalm 32, 8 adds... I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. So there's a list of what the Holy Spirit will do in our lives. How the Holy Spirit works in our lives. Number one, God guides us through the inner, convic through the inner convictions of the Holy Spirit. Number two, He guides us through the Spirit-inspired passages in His Word. Number three, He also guides us as the Holy Spirit impresses others to share words of wisdom and counsel. 
And number four, sometimes God's, God guides us by allowing the Holy Spirit to so arrange providential experiences in our lives that a plain path opens before us and we sense which way God is leading us. Now, in closing, originally I was going to close right about here, but after talking to that pastor yesterday, it encouraged me to go a little bit farther because that pastor was a pastor out of McLeod. He was a Pentecostal pastor, and the, the talk we had was about the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit is in our lives. How do we prove the Holy Spirit is in our lives? And so what I wanted to do was I wanted to study out what the Holy Spirit was not, right? Just do a little bit extra. What is not? What does the Holy Spirit not do? And now I do believe the topic here that came up was, of course, the gift of tongues. Now I believe 100% that the gift of tongues is genuine and authentic. It is a biblical gift that we can get. But I want to take a couple of Bible passages to understand it better. So the Apostle Paul actually wrote the first letter of Corinthians to the Corinthians, and he wrote it about the way that they were acting in their church, and a lot of it dealt with uh, the gift of tongues. So I wanted to just go through that real quick. Corinthians 12:11. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. So, in this case, he's saying being one and the same, he distributes to each one individually. So, the reason I don't have the same gift that Glenda has and that Glenda doesn't have the same gift that Lisa has is because God decides who needs what gift and defines those and distributes those out to us. We don't all get the same gifts because we don't all need the same gifts, right? Second, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 27 and 28. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church. First, apostles. Second, prophets. Third, teachers. After that, miracles. Then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. So if we look at this list with the plain language, it seems like the gift of tongues is the least important gift that we have, that we could have, that there are so many more important things that we need. Uh, Corinthians twelve twenty nine through 31, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? No, are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? but earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. So he's saying that not everyone has these same gifts. They're not all, and again, the gift of tongues is at the end. Now, mainly, like I said, I'm just sharing this so that if the topic comes up, I, I, I studied it out, but I just want you to be aware so that you know where to go to get these, this information. If we continue reading, uh, right after that, that, that was the end of uh, the 12th chapter, but 13.1.2 says, Though I speak with the tongues of men, this is the Apostle Paul talking again, he spoke with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. So here he's warning you that the most important thing you can have is love, right? If you have prophecy, if you have faith, if you have the speaking with tongues, 
but no love, it's nothing. It's nothing. You're nothing. It, you've done nothing. Now, 14.22 says, Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. You know, and sometimes I see, just like that, that pastor, when he came to me, he's like, well, how do you know you have the Holy Spirit? He was almost asking me to prove to him that I had the Holy Spirit. And I see that sometimes with people that have that belief is they use the tongues to prove to each other. But it says tongues are a sign not to those who believe. We're not supposed to prove, Glenda, you're a believer. Oh, you don't know if I'm a believer? I'll show you I'm a believer. Yeah, that's not the way it's supposed to work. Uh, prophesying is for uh, believers, not the unbelievers. The, the gift of tongues is for us to reach out to those people who may not be able to understand us. Like if there was a Spanish person that came into this, into this uh, congregation and couldn't understand me, then at that point, that gift of tongues may present itself. 1 Corinthians 14, 9 and 10. So likewise, you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world and none of them is without significance. So here we're reading about the gift of tongues must be understood. It must be something that can be understood and known what is spoken. Otherwise, it's worthless. It's speaking into the air. There's no point to it. But all languages have significance. 1 Corinthians 4, 18, 19. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. So he's, saying that he's, he's wishing that he had more, fewer words of, with understanding than anything that he couldn't understand. I believe this is the last one, 14, 26 through 28. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. They have to be be able to be consumed, right? All things have to be. So if anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at most three, each in turn. It's not a sudden outburst. It's not like everyone goes off at once. It's two, maybe three, each in turn. let, Let one interpret. It has to be understood by someone in the congregation. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in church and let him speak to himself and to God. So, that's the end of what I had studied out. There was an interesting story that I'll finish with. It was uh, many years ago, there was a guide in the desert of Arabia. And this guide never got lost. Anytime he was in doubt with where he was in, in, in relation to, to the desert or wherever else, he had a dove that he kept with him. In his, in his jacket and it had a string tied tightly around its foot and whenever he felt like lost he would throw that dove in the air and hold onto the string and that dove would take off and it, it was strained against the rope and he would know exactly where home was the Holy Spirit can be that guide to us they called him the dove man we all should be dove men and women we all should be looking to the guiding of the Holy Spirit We all can have more in our lives, more understanding and more of the gifts that God gives us, gifts of joy. If you'll bow your heads with me, we'll close in prayer.
Lord, I surrender to my will. Or, I'm, I'm sorry. I surrender my will to yours. I surrender my selfish amb- ambitions to you. Lord, whatever you want me to do, I will do it. Whatever habits you desire me to give up, I will surrender them. Lord, you are my helper, my teacher, my guide. I long for you to dwell in me through your Holy Spirit today and always. Holy Spirit, light divine, shine upon this heart of mine. Chase the shades of night away. Turn my darkness into day. In the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, amen.